Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Corinthian Letters, Lesson 36, entitled, Drifting Towards Unholiness. Hello, welcome back to our midweek study, the book of 1 Corinthians. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to be in the first 12 verses. Find a Bible. Uh, let's get ready to study and see what God has for us today. Let's begin with prayer together. God, I just thank you that we can come together here in the middle of the week, here just over your word. Uh, no one here present with me, but lots of people present online. And I just pray, God, you would reach through this uh, Bible study into their lives, into my life, God. You'd shape us into what you want us to be. Thank you that you're working all the time and you're always, everything that you do is always good. So I thank you for this word, Lord, and we take it for whatever it says, however it is. We let it apply to our lives, Lord. If it sticks, then it sticks, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. But whatever you have for us, God, that's what we want. Thank you, Lord. Again, we ask you to teach us now in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 12, we're going to be looking at a little thing called, I'm going to call drift. Practically everything on earth moves uh, that moves also drifts. A car drifts if you don't you're not careful. The wind, uh, the texture of the road, uh, a boat drifts on the waves, uh, the wind too, the currents, uh, uh, an airplane drifts because of the jet stream. I mean, everything that moves has, a constantly, has to constantly make an adjustments because nothing actually travels in a straight line forever. Something affects it, whatever it is. It's interesting that nothing ever drifts on the course, it always drifts off. The same is true with us. It's interesting. We never drift towards holiness. <laughs> never drift. It's always intentional. Uh, but you can be sure if we drift, we drift away towards unholiness. So we're here at chapter 10, and chapter breaks uh, sometimes in the Bible come at some very unfortunate places, and this is one of those. Uh, when they do like that, they cause a break in thought, our thought, because there's a chapter 9 and then a chapter 10, there's a break in our thought when there wasn't necessarily one in the original writing, in the writer, as he writes them, it's one contiguous thought. And so, again, this is one of those cases. Paul was speaking, if you were with us last time, in the end of chapter 9 about the race we talked about, the Christian life, and uh, how he was trying to be careful so that when he got to the end of the race, he would receive the prize and not be disqualified. And so with that carrying over into chapter 10, basically he's given us an example of those who got themselves because they drifted off course. They got themselves disqualified. And so he's going to give us several examples, not only of what happened to some of these people, but also what can also happen to us. And so we're going to be considering that here uh, let's start with verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to back up and talk about them. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. Now, like I said, he's talking about you got off course, and I, don't want, to make sure, I want to make sure I don't get off course and get uh, disqualified. I want to make sure that you don't get off course and get disqualified. And here's some people that got disqualified. Here's what happened to them. Now, they had all the rights and privileges that, of, of children of God. They were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, all ate the same spiritual food. He's talking about manna here, talking about the Old Testament, the book of Exodus. All drank the same spiritual drink, for they were all drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. 
for they were laid low, literally they died in the wilderness, having not entered the promised land. And so this is such a uh, very interesting terms that he used here. We're going to break it down here in just a bit. He uses, first of all, the word all five different times in this portion of Scripture. He wants us to know that all, everybody had the same advantages. They all had the same opportunities. They were all unique. They were all special, if you will, not had any different application or privilege or opportunity than anyone else. And so there are distinct parallels he draws between what the children of Israel, in this case in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right, um, experienced and what the children of God have and will experience. So he's, he's drawn parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament believers and the New Testament believers. What happened to them, rights and privileges, also problems and drift, is also can also happen to us. So first of all, verses 1 and 2 talks about this cloud that guided them. If you know, it's, it was the presence of God guiding them through the through the, through the wilderness, this trackless desert, which is in some ways analogous, and that's the illustration he's given here, to the Holy Spirit. We also have not a cloud, but we have a guide. Do we follow him, though? That's a good question. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. It's one of the definitions of Christian. What is a Christian? Those who are led by the Spirit of God. Yeah. Those who are led by the Spirit of God. So those who are not led by the Spirit of God are not Christians. Yep, that's right. That's right. Because if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Him. It tells us previous, in previous verses there in chapter 8 of Romans. So we have a guide, but did we follow our guide? And that's part of their problem. You know, they were, they were being guided in the wilderness, but they're actually following Him. So are we following the guide that we have? And then he talks about not just the cloud, but also the sea. And he says that he equivocates, Paul does, this to their baptism. In other words, they were publicly identified as belonging to God, as being the children of God, by passing through the Red Sea, being led by this cloud. A public identification is what baptism is. Baptism doesn't save you. Water baptism does not. It is a public identification. It's basically saying publicly, I belong to God. I belong to Him. I've made a decision in the privacy of my own heart. Me between, between me and a Savior, you have to come to a place where you've done that. Have you ever done that? where you've made a private decision to trust Christ as Savior. It's not enough to know that He's the Savior. Not enough to know that He's the Son of God. You have to have personally had an encounter with Him. Have you had that encounter? If you have, then Jesus asks that private relationship be brought public through a thing called baptism. So we publicly identified as belonging to Christ through the baptism. He's saying what they had in the Old Testament, we have in the New Testament. He equivocates it, to, if you will, to baptism. And then a third thing, verse 3 and 4, he says they had this spiritual food and spiritual drink. God brought water out of a rock, and he brought uh, food down from heaven. They called it manna, which is just the Hebrew word for what's that? Manna, what is that? They were sustained supernaturally by God's provision. Same is true with the New Testament believer. Ultimately, our sustenance is not physical, it's spiritual. We're kept alive because of Christ. We're kept alive because of our faith in Him. It's not a physical issue, it's a spiritual issue. So he, he draws parallels between the two groups, the two children of God, the people of God, and then now he's going to make, since they're parallel, he's going to draw some applications to the fact that they drifted, Paul, as Paul says here. And 
our possibility of drifting as well. So with all these privileges, you would think that they wouldn't have been possible for the Israelites to drift. I mean, they had a cloud. They ate spiritual food. They went through the Red Sea. They had all this stuff going for them. How is it possible that they drift? You may think it's not possible. You would have to say the same thing about us. We know Christians drift, but we have even greater privileges than they had. So why, how is it possible? Well, verse 5 is, makes an interesting term here. He says, most, most fell in the wilderness. That's a tough word, most. Most is tough. Uh, how many was that? So they all had these great privileges. They all had these great experiences. They all saw these wonderful things of God. And yet they still failed to believe God to go into the promised land. How is that possible? How did they drift so far away? Again, he's trying to make the point of watch out because if it could happen to them, it could happen to us. But most, what is most? Well, the Bible tells us there were 600,000 fighting men ages 20 and older. So, so just on, on, in the statistics of males in this group, if you add another 25% for those below 20 years old, you got around 750,000 males in the wilderness. And if we add one female to every male, and probably would have been more than that, but if we add one female to every male, you're, you're like one and a half million Israelites, right? That's a bunch. That's a bunch, especially when you hear the word most didn't make it. Most? Most, yeah, out of the 600 and 600,000 males, only 598,000 did not go in the promised land. Only two. Only two. Uh, well, sorry, sorry. 599 and uh, what is that? 998 didn't make it. Of all the ones, only two actually voted and found out to go or actually got to go into the promised land. Wow, that's not a good ratio, is it? So as Paul is saying here, is there a parallel between the privileges of the Old Testament and New Testament children of God, people of God, parallel from their tendencies also to drift, just like the Old Testament, so it's true for the New Testament. Parallels also with the things that cause the drift, and we're going to continue here in verse, uh, in verse 6. Take a look. Now these things happened, that is the Old Testament stuff, as examples for us. Why does the Bible, the New Testament, or sorry, the Old Testament exist? As examples. What happened to them can happen to us. These things happen as examples for us that we should not, here's the first thing, crave evil things as they also craved. They craved evil things. What was that? That's referring to, to something that happened back here in Numbers chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. I'm going to put it on the screen there for you. Numbers 11. Here's the evil things that they craved. It says, the rabble with them began to crave other food. Is food evil? And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Well, they're eating manna, right? Bread from heaven. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We will... We never see anything this, but this manna, they say. So they're complaining about what God has given to them. And notice, they desired, it says, evil things. So what's evil about that list? I mean, just in a, in a strict sense. Fish, is, that, is eating fish evil? No. Uh, 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 cucumbers, is that, or melons, or leeks, or onions, or garlic, is any of that evil? No. Is it evil to say, I don't want bread, I want fish, just in the strict sense? 
No. So what's evil about it? Here's the evil. Instead of taking what God had provided for them, they decided God wasn't doing the best thing for them. That is evil. Evil, listen, doesn't need to be, well, what, if I said something is evil, you immediately think of a list of horrible, sinful things. Doesn't have to be, now that's true, but it doesn't have to be that. Just simply wanting something other than what God has for you the plan he has for you, the direction he has for you, the place he has for you, listen, is evil. It really is. God says, this is where you need to be and this is what you need to do. And you say, no, I'm not doing that. That's evil. Even as something of, here's the manna, and you say, we won't fish. That's evil. That is evil. When we're not content with what God has for us, where God has us, the conditions God has for us in, we're desiring, we're headed in a direction, we're drifting toward desiring things that are evil, outside of the will of God. Where did God have them? He had in the wilderness, what did he have for them? He had manna for them. Deal with it. Live with it. Say, I... No, not my favorite thing necessarily. Nevertheless, God is good to us. He's given us better than we deserve. And so, thank you very much, Lord. Uh, we could be eating sand. Uh, and uh, thank, thank you, God, that we have all this. And we fall wanting things. The word literally is lusting after things. It says the people of Israel. Uh, other than what God has for us, we are asking for hot water. We drift. Something that simple as... Well, I just don't want manna anymore. That's a drift. You're headed in a bad direction. A person with a discontented heart has an attitude that they do more for God than they should, and God is not doing near enough for them. Definite drift. Beware of a discontented heart. It will cause you a lot of pain. I was driving down the road one time, and I saw a perfectly good picture of this. There was this, I call it hogwire, Fence that's uh, fencing material that's got holes in it about that big, and a goat had rammed his head through there and was reaching over the fence to, to, to reach the grass. And then when he tried to back up, he was stuck. He couldn't get his head back through the horns, horns, he called it. The, the sad thing was is that the grass was just as green on his side of the fence as it was on the side of the fence he was trying to reach. That's sort of a, a great picture for us. Well, I don't like my side, I want to go to this side. I don't like where God's put me, so I'm going to go over here. You're going to get yourself in a lot of pain. You're going to cause yourself some problems. Evil desires, what? Anything that God does not want or have for us is evil. So that's the first place that began to drift. The second place, the second thing that caused drift in the hearts of the Israelites, we see it here in verse 7, it's idolatry. So they were, first of all, craving evil things. And then number two, verse seven, do not be idolaters, as some of them were. That is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. He's talking about an incident that took place in the Old Testament where they made this golden calf and they trusted in it because it was a lot easier to believe in things that were tangible as opposed to intangibles like the, the uh, inability to see God. And we're the same way. We tend to put our faith more easily in things that we can see and taste and touch and hear, as opposed to God, who not necessarily can we have any of those privileges with, unless he decides. So we make idols out of things like success and wealth and possessions and status and self-image because these are tangible things, they're measurable, right? 
They have a bottom line, the numbers we can add and subtract to, whereas God, not so much. Why are we that way? Because we're just like them. Like I said, he's drawing parallels because we're just like them. What causes drift in them causes drift in us. So do we have idols? Idols is the definite drift. What is your idols? What, what do you worship? What's, what's most important to you? Here's, here's, here's a rule of thumb. Check, check out your book, your checkbook. Check out your credit card statement. They will tell you. Check out your calendar. It will tell you. Where is your heart? What means the most to you? These things will help you measure what is your God's. What are they? What are they? The third thing that caused drift. So, so not only desiring evil things and getting involved in idolatry, but a third thing that causes drift in the Israelites was immorality. Take a look at verse 8. It says, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day. He's referring to an event that took place in Numbers chapter 25 where Israelite men fell into immorality with the Moabite women and the Lord killed 23,000 of them. Wow. Pretty bad. God, immorality is a serious business to God. He's not winking at that. He's not turning a blind eye to things like fornication and adultery and homosexual behavior. He's very serious about these things. As he was then, so he is now. Immorality is serious drift. Leads us in the wrong direction. It's not just immorality physically, but also mentally. Things like pornography. Be careful what your eyes see. Be careful what your mind thinks. This is also immorality. It is drift. What caused them to drift will cause us to drift. Then that was a third thing, and now he gives us a fourth thing that causes drift in the Israelites, and it was putting the Lord to the test. Look at verse 9. What does that mean? Lord, you're about to take a test. No, that's not exactly how it works, but notice what it says. Nor let us try the Lord, putting him to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Part and parcel with, with putting God to the test is this whole grumbling thing. They called into question God's goodness. God's not really good. If he was, he'd be doing such and such. Put him to the test. Prove, us, prove it to us, God, that you're good. That's putting God to the test. Don't do that. Questioning his goodness. Questioning his provisions. This was... Like I said, part and parcel with grumbling. Grumbling is complaining either openly or in our hearts about the situation God has us in. Complaining about, are you complaining about your situation, either in your heart or to others? God hears that. God hears that. He hears all of it. I read a story that reminded me of this, of an elderly gentleman who went to the doctor to get hearing aids because of uh, bad hearing loss, and his family was complaining about the fact that his hearing wasn't working. So without telling them, he went to the doctor to get hearing aids, and he got fitted for hearing aids, and they basically fixed his hearing 100%. And uh, so he went home, and the doctor made him an appointment. and said, come back in two weeks, and we'll give you a checkup just to make sure everything's good and they're fitting well and you're enjoying and understand how they work. And so he did. He went home, and he came back, and... and uh, he, uh, the doctor was, was examining and said, how do you like to hear it? He said, oh, man, I love these. They are great. I had no idea I was missing so much. He says, well, how does your family like them? He says, oh, I didn't tell them, he said. 
said, well, how did you tell him? He says, I didn't tell him. I've just been sitting listening, he said. He said, so far, I've changed my will three different times. <laughs> listening. You think God doesn't hear when you complain? You think it, it is unoffensive to God when you implicate somehow that he isn't good? Because see, that's what's happening when we grumble. When we grumble, we, we're calling into question who he is. See, God's will is always best. God's way is always right. And when we grumble, we're calling those things into question. Is he really? Does he really do good? Don't be in a place like that. Don't. Don't. Get out of it quick. It's a dangerous spot. So things that cause them to drift. And then he, we can conclude here in verses 11 and 12. Now these things happen to them as an example. There it is again. So he said, listen, they're an example to us. They had similar privileges to us. And they were also called the people of God, just like us. These things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. So as Moses writes this, he's not writing it for the people who went through it because they were already gone. He's writing it for the future generations among whom we are. They were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Drift happens. Don't think you're immune. Drift happens. In fact, there is no such thing as the not drifting. And the same thing that causes drift in them causes drift in us. Drift is always gradual. And if we're not careful, we will get way off course. But it always starts gradually. No garden suddenly overgrows with weeds. No, no building suddenly crumbles. Uh, no, no human life suddenly becomes base. No marriage just suddenly falls apart. No, it is a drift. Are you drifting? Here's, here's what drift can look like. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition, and we call it faith. No. We drift towards the loss of self-control, and we call it relaxation. I'm just relaxing. We drift toward prayerlessness, and we claim that it's an escape from legalism, and we write it off. We drift towards godliness and conventional selves that we've been liberated. No. It's drift. Are you drifting? Of course you are. We all are. In fact, the only assured way to continue to drift is to think that you're not. Be careful. Be careful. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. Just like you say, why was it written down? For our instruction. So that we can see ourselves in the lives of these people who went on before us. And instead of making their same mistakes, hopefully learn from their example. And not make those mistakes ourselves. God, help us to hear you on this. Help us not to drift. And if we are, help us, God, to right ourselves and get back to where you want us to be. Help us to see these issues, calling into question your goodness, uh, desiring things that you don't have for us, getting involved in immorality or idolatry. These things will cause serious drift for us. Thank you, God, for writing these things down 
caring enough about so you can communicate, bringing it through the ages all the way in your scriptures so that we could be, so you could communicate to us these truths. Thank you, Father. Embed these things in our hearts. Help us to hear you as you speak through them, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.